talked about having the right stuff, which is literally the heart of God. And, and that's kind of where we were last week talking about the right heart. He says in Joel, come to me this way. But it, then he says it. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. And we discovered that their hearts weren't, weren't, weren't all that good. So here they are presenting this. What kind of sacrifice does God want? Perfect, spotless, right? Without blemish. Well, we can't do that in our own hearts, and we can't even do that in our own lives. We need him to do that work in us, don't we? What we can do is humble ourselves, and we can invite him. We can submit to him. And we said that the greatest battle raging, it's on the bottom of your bulletin there on the sermon page, the greatest battle raging right now is for the thoughts of the people, one mind, the heart of the people, and for the identity of the people. Folks, when, when it gets like that, we have to understand who we are. When there's crisis, when there's the battle is raging, when bullets are flying and darts and all these other, we need to be able to know who we are, that, that you're, you're, the, you're a child of God. If you're not, we talked about being in the no man's land where you're not protected or covered by either, either, either sovereign power. That's the place where you're likely to get picked off by, by anybody. So you choose this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice how you're going to live your life and who's going to be your commander-in-chief. And we live in a country where a commander-in-chief, through the years, there's good and there's bad. And we like what, how they're leading and we don't like how they're leading. And that's why our commander-in-chief spiritually transcends or goes above any other earthly commander-in-chief. See? We have to do what is pleasing to God, not what is pleasing to man. And that's a dangerous thing for us because it's so easy to get caught up in man-pleasing, isn't it? Huh? And then what happens is sometimes if you don't get caught up in man-pleasing, you get up in demanding that men please you. You send that food back three or four times. We were there the other night. We had a, Arlene had a steak. It was... She likes them a certain way, a little pink in the middle, and she got it. It was, looks like they didn't even get to the, it was not that thick, but boy, it was literally just fleshly inside. It hadn't been touched by any heat. And it was kind of like, hmm, even Arlene liking a medium rare doesn't like that thing. Sent it back, come back. It still wasn't really that fabulous, but she was very gracious and kind. Let's go ahead and put that scripture out of Joel up on the wall if we could. We're going to run from uh, verse 15. It's actually verse 12 is where it starts. Um, we're putting, I put up on the, the screen a specific translation of it because I like what it says. There's also this. It's not too late. God's personal message. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping. Sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. And here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot. This most patient God, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. If you see catastrophe in your life and you see it around you, guess what? It's not God's idea, but God's going to utilize it for some good purpose, see? So God either causes it or he allows it. That's just the way it is because he's sovereign. If he's all-powerful, he could stop it if he wanted to. One thing he can do is he can change the outcome. For what the enemy means for bad, God can turn and work for good. That's what God says. So this extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. 
Maybe when all said and done, there will be blessings full and robust for your God. Blow the ram's horn, trumpet in Zion. Declare a day of repentance, a holy fast day. Call a public meeting. Get everyone there. Consecrate the congregation. Make sure the elders come. But bring in the children too, even the nursing babies, even men and women on their honeymoon. Interrupt them there and get them there. By the way, before we move on, this is one of the few places you want to do an interesting study. Do a study on uh, women and children in the Bible. Because when it talks about an assembly, when it started with Israel and all the way back into Abraham's day and Noah's day, that in in Lot's day, I'm sorry, in um, that guy, um, Job's day, there was, when it talked about uh, spiritual matters and it talked about an assembly, and even in Jesus' day, when it says there were 5,000 men and then women and children, Women and children weren't the featured, featured thing. When you see the word and you see women and children and nursing infants, when you see that, that has greater emphasis because God is making sure that we're not just thinking men only, that he's saying everybody, see? Because before, because men are the head of the household, it would get that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it wasn't singled out speaking specifically. So in this case, when he says women and children too. He meant that to begin with when it says, consecrate the cog, get everyone there. Why does he have to say women and children too? Because the mindset could be that, that we think, oh, the guys have to go. And he's saying, no, no, I'm talking about everybody. And don't worry about all these other things. Don't worry about nursery. Don't worry about honeymoons. Don't worry about nothing. You just get them there. Verse 17. Between sanctuary entrance and altar, let the priests, God's servants, weep tears of repentance. Let them intercede. Have mercy, God, on your people. Don't abandon your heritage to contempt. Don't let the pagans take over and rule them and sneer. And so where is this God of theirs? Don't you ever feel like that? When you're out there being do-gooders that, you know, it all of a sudden seems like, what's the use? Why bother? Because it seems like the bad people win seems like they're getting away with stuff, and I'm the one who's being upright. I'm trying to be honest, and it seems like, why is that? That calamity. Because God wants to reveal himself in it. That's why. So where is this God of theirs? At that, God went into action to get his land back. He took pity on his people. Verse 19 says, God answered and spoke to his people, look, listen. I'm sending a gift, grain and wine and olive oil. The fast is over. Eat your fill. I won't expose you any longer to contempt among the pagans. See, we're waiting for that today, aren't we? Aren't you waiting, wanting God to take away your reproach? Huh? Because you want him to vindicate you. If you don't, I want to tell you that you should have that appetite. You should have that desire in your heart that God will show up and, and he'll... he'll, he'll, he'll He'll raise you up on a little pedestal. He'll say, ah, here's my girl. Here's my guy. You know why? Not for our glory, but for his own. That's what Jesus said. He wanted to be, Father, you be glorified now in their life like you've been in mine. Folks, you might not have heard that, that before. Maybe you've been in a place where they're always talking about you got to decrease and he must increase, but you didn't realize that when you decrease, he increases you. He says, if you humble yourself, he'll raise you up. You can't stay down there. That's dishonoring to him too. 
He wants you to be a city on a hill, not covered up with some sort of, you know, false humility. Put some lampshade on it. That's what the world wants to do. God says, hey, let that light shine. How are you going to do that? Because he has to come in and he has to show himself strong on your behalf. That's what he says he'll do. Well, what, you don't think the promises of the Old Testament apply to you today? Wrong. We're not just a New Testament church. We're not an Old Testament church. We're a full Bible church. What that means is the whole counsel of the Word of God. Guess what it says? It says, he'll come in and he says, if you'll do this, you'll return. He says, who knows if he won't change it because he's merciful. He's long-suffering. So in the end, he'll have pity on his people. The Lord will answer. That's what we can expect from him. Amen? So here it is. The right mission is the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be building. Not our own kingdoms, not the kingdom of America, not the kingdom of, of anything or, or a job. And it's not about drilling. It's not about Chevron. It's, it's about the kingdom of God. If we have these jobs and we have this benefit, it's about the kingdom. We're supposed to keep the focus is, is that he says the first commandment he ever gave is simply that there'll be no other gods. I don't like it when you have all kinds of other stuff that's going to go before me. You know, how it, you know if it goes before you, you can check your wallets, what you spend your money on, and you can check your calendars, where you spend your time. Those two little things that it just brings, it, it rains down on you. You where I'm at? Now, that's not condemnation. That should be conviction. Conviction says God wants you back, all of you. He says, even now, if you'll return to me, and what's that mean? That means he, he recognizes people have abandoned him. And one of the elements that we want always about God is what? We want the promise of his presence because he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Guess what he wants from you? He wants you to never leave him, never forsake him. How do we forsake him? With our time, <laughs> with our resources. With our abilities, we get to where we don't recognize somebody who's hurting around us. We're so much living life for ourselves that we fail to see the ones who need a boost. They need an encouragement. They need to be built up. Amen? There's people missing here this morning that need to be built up. They need to be encouraged. Do you remember, if you look in the bulletin, I think it's also on the wall, but look at Genesis chapter 3. It's kind of interesting about the kingdom of God because he declared it way back in... We know that the Bible, some of you may not know it, but the Bible actually says Christ was crucified before the world was even established. Now, that's part of a mystery of faith. But what it means in there, Christ was crucified before the world was even established. God knew what was going to happen. God knows it all. He knows every detail. He knows what you've been through. He knows, he knows where you're at right now, and he knows how he's going to get you through it. He knows what the preacher's going to say so that that will inspire you, encourage you, challenge you, motivate you to conform to the image of Christ, to expect God in your situation. So in, in Genesis 3, it's 14 and 15. It's also in your bulletin there. God says to the serpent, remember this is after they've sinned now, because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head, you'll wound his heel. 
Well, we know who wins that ultimate battle. We find that in when he struck at Christ, thought he had gained the victory because Christ died on the cross. He didn't know that rest of the story. He didn't know it to where he was. He doesn't, he's all, not all-knowing. He's not all that smart sometimes. So in this case, that curse that is to the serpent, yes, it's to the serpent or the snake, but it's also spiritual curse on the fruit and what had happened with Satan. He was already, that the war has been declared. And so in this case, what it does is it tells him, this is what the kingdom of God is about. There's going to be this enmity is what the Bible says. There's going to be this thing between you and me. This, it's more than just jealousy. It's more than strife. It's more than bitterness. It actually, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, it lists it and says in many translations, it says enmity. What is that? There's this hatred between us. See, that's of the flesh. Has anybody ever, you, do you guys have anybody in your lives that do you know that you have enmity with right now? Or maybe they have enmity with you. You know what that means? That's like bad blood. I really can't stand them. Don't want to be around them. Don't want to listen to them, see them, spend time with them. Definitely don't send them presents. Come on, be honest. Anybody got somebody like that in your life? As good as you are, you know, you might have reconciled and you've dealt with it as best as you can. But the truth is, you know, if that person showed up and is in your face, you, you, it's not a good moment. See, that's being gracious. How about this? In Matthew, in chapter uh, 1 there, there's two narratives that talk about it. But in this narrative, it actually says the very wording, and I've highlighted it in your, in your text there. He will save the people, his people, from their sins. See what it says? This is how Jesus, Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whoever he wants. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, wow, there's a couple things that he was actually very humble. He was very considerate. He didn't want to shame her. He was going to do this quietly. Husbands and wives, when you guys get into fights, when it's at the height of the moment, do you really give a rip if somebody recognizes it or not? Because what I've seen is you're willing to do it publicly or otherwise. You're going to let your attitude be reflected. You're going to be let it be known that you're not happy. Huh? Talking to the right people? I, I know I am. <laughs> oh, you won't believe what he just said, what he did. And pretty soon we got third party. We're dragging into it, wanting them to choose sides. In this case, he covers her. What's it talking about? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. At the birth, before the birth of Jesus, way before the cross, the, the Holy Spirit is moving. Imagine that. See, a lot of people take their theology and they think that all this happens only after the cross. I'm telling you, before I ever got saved, I had some fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. That might be the strangest thing for you to think about. 
But I'm telling you, what he did, if the Holy Spirit leads and guides you, and one of the things he does is he draws you to righteousness, and the fulfillment of righteousness is, is Jesus himself. If, if that's what happens, then you're going to be drawn as a, as a sinner, as, as those who are unredeemed, you will be drawn to God. By what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit convicts you of the condition of your heart, what, the condition of your life, how you're living. So the truth is, the Holy Spirit isn't dependent upon, holy, uh, upon salvation to move, to manifest, to reveal himself. See? And so here we've got the Holy Spirit moving ahead of time. There's already been a war declared. And, and, and it says, I love the way that, that Genesis talks about God. He says, let's make man in our image. I'm telling you, it's talking about the Godhead. That's called the Trinity. That's what we've identified being triune three in one. Well, that's because he can. That's why he is. So we have this mission that Mary now is on a mission. And and Joseph is now on a mission. It's not going to be my seed, but you take care of that woman. You're the one who's appointed for her. You're going to be her husband. Yeah, you might have other kids after this, but right now this is all about the Holy Spirit. This is about God's purpose. He'll save his people from their sins. That's the mission. See, one of the keys to warfare is foreknowledge. Do you know that? Do you know there's a whole, we talked about research and development last week a little bit, in that that's part of a strategy. As a matter of fact, Chevron has a, a major research and development. You learn some of those principles at Marietta about where you're going to drill. You've got to know, you've got to do the groundwork, if you will. You've got to do all the techno- technology. Before you go drilling, you want to find out if there's anything down there to drill for. So that's called research. That's investigating things. Well, that's what we do in warfare. You take a step back and you survey the the terrain, the territory, the catastrophe, the calamity about your lives, and you say, okay, what's going on here? Why is this happening? And it might be that there's something you can do about it. It might be that there's nothing you can do about it. It might be that you, you, it's not your fault. You didn't do it. God's just, he's bringing it. Why is he bringing it? Because he's going to do something with it. That's a promise we have from him. And so what happens is, if, like me, I look and I say, okay, God, what's going on with sickness among the sheep? God, is there something I've done to offend you? Is there something that I've done that, that is, uh, is bringing this calamity? God, don't take it out on them. Deal with me. If I'm your representative to the people, then I also represent them to you. So, God, if there's an error in me, if there's something for me that you want to deal with, please. And do you know that's exactly what Moses did in his day? He stood between God and the people. He actually defended the people that were grumbling and complaining against him. And he stood there and he said, no, God, these are your people. Wow. So one of the first things, keys to warfare, is foreknowledge. You've got to be ahead of the game. You've got to expect and know what the fight's going to be. You've got to have a game plan before you get there. We talk about people who live their lives to say, well, we'll build that bridge when we get to it. No, no. When you get to that, ga- that gap in your life, that situation where it's, 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 there's a cliff, you better have had that bri- bridge already laid out. You have th- that thing planned. You see? You know that's what the military, anybody serve in the military, by the way? That, that, did you ever have a place where you went where you have, they actually have bridges? You know that? They, they have little 
that they drop into a zone where they don't have bridges and they unroll this steel thing and, and it's, a, it's buoyed and it's got all those elements to it and they can set it up like this and boom, they could be driving tanks across it. Why? Because they considered the terrain. They knew what was going on. They knew the area that they were going into ahead of time and they prepared for it. Folks, that's what we're doing. We're doing warfare. We're getting ready and expecting and anticipating. And guess why? Because the enemy knows if, if you're weak for a left hook. He knows if you're susceptible to an uppercut, to a jab. He knows how to come at you. And he knows when you let your guard down, you might be down but not out. And that's because even if you get decked by the devil, God has a plan to raise you up. So in that place, we humble ourselves and we say, God, save me. And guess what he does? I love to think about this. It's just how I am with him. I, I know he stops everything else, forgets everybody else, and he comes to my rescue. So the truth is he's big enough. He does that all at the same time. He's not a God who's restricted to one call for, you know, one 9-11 call. You see what I mean? He, he all over the place. Here's what it says in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 19, 3 through 7 is the verses. It says, <clears throat> he comes to that territory in Galatia where they had, they'd been baptized. And so he asked them this question. He says, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. If you ever wondered what that was about, that was called the baptism of repentance. John the Baptist, locusts and honey, wearing the animal skins, out there all of a sudden, and he's doing this. I want to tell you this, if you never thought about it. Do you remember who, who his daddy is, John the Baptist? Who is it? Zacharias. Who's Zacharias? Ah, he's a high priest. And so here John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and he doesn't wear, he's not wearing priestly garments, is he? He's a far cry from what the priestly garments and the ceremonial cleansing. And so we come from the, the, the labor where they would have had this cleansing that the priests would have done in the Old Testament. And now in the New Testament, it introduces, before we even see Jesus, he's about to be baptized. What we see is this guy who is the son of a high priest, and he doesn't look any, anything like it. What is that? And he's baptizing in a, in a, in a, a filthy river. You know, God's about to change things. And then we see Jesus enter into the waters, and he says, whoa, wait a minute. Here comes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, I'm not fit to even untie your, your, your sandals. Jesus says, permit it at this time. It's necessary. Why? Because it fulfills the law. Jesus is going through ceremonial cleansing, isn't he? I love the idea that he changes it up right there. No priestly garments. Not all this other pomp and circumstance and religiosity and rituals that the Old Testament had. He just says, I'm doing something new. Oh, he said that earlier, didn't he? Will you not be aware of it? And he starts doing it in the person of John the Baptist. So then it goes on. It says, that was a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, 
and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. Wow. Well, a lot of churches nowadays, they diminish the Holy Spirit today by saying that when the perfect has come, that which is partial is done away. And so what they're actually saying is then, I guess, that the Holy Spirit is partial. No, that's what they're saying. There's no way you can say that the Holy Spirit is somehow less than that because they believe that this is the reason for the Holy Spirit was to compile the Bible, to, to God-breathe, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, men were influenced to write the words of God. And that's a true statement. But the problem is the Holy Spirit didn't go anywhere. Jesus went somewhere. Remember what Jesus said? He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But in John 14, 15, and 16, we read, and it says, it's imperative that I go away. Well, I thought you weren't going away. It's, imper- it's imperative that I go away that I can send the Holy Spirit to you, the Comforter. And, and hey, he'll lead you and guide you, and he'll counsel you, and he'll comfort you. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is, folks? It's fuel for your life, for your Christian walk. You have a vessel, a vehicle, and I used this with a young lady last night. Uh, there's, you, have, you, you got here by a vehicle, but the vehicle didn't get you here without the gasoline to fuel the vehicle. What, what, what the fuel for your Christian life is the Holy Spirit. That's the fuel which propels this vessel. And that's why you want to receive it. That's not a, a one-time thing. That's why you'll see over and over in the book of Acts the, that they were filled, filled, full of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit. And then they spoke. Then they laid hands on. Then Paul says it's not this fancy words. It's a demonstration of power. What power? Holy Spirit power. See, so why would anybody want to diminish who the Holy Spirit is and make him something that, that fit into that proverbial box or even just only within the pages? Because God is co-eternal, that means all three of them. That means God is always, Jesus is always, and Holy Spirit is always. That's not my take on it. That's not my twist on it. That's what the Bible says. And guess what? It tells you that there's a certain time where the Holy Spirit, His work is done, and guess what happens? The time for conviction, the time for repentance, the time for people turning to accept Christ That's over. Now, judgment. And now, guess who shows back up? And it's on a big old white horse. Huh? Oh, I know. You think it ought to be on a motorcycle or something. But, you know, it's however that is in the modern day, he's coming on the clouds and he doesn't need any kind of wheels under him. You see? That's what we have. So here's what I want to tell you is, folks, you have to do... The soul searching is to say, this is the day of Pentecost. Jesus says, you go and wait until you're going to be my witnesses, but don't you go out there witnessing without the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you go, and he says, you wait until you get this power. And when you get this power, now you'll be my witnesses. Now you go out. See, what did they do once the Holy Spirit was poured out? They were hanging out. You know what what God used to get them out and, and to... Judea and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Persecution. Things didn't didn't go so well. And all of a sudden, 
He pushed them out. And now they had, to, they had to see that the Holy Spirit was real, that he really did lead and guide them, that he brought conviction upon and bore fruit out of their lives. That's, what you do. that's why you want the Holy Spirit, folks, is because that's where you're going to get the power of God. You're going to see, and you'll be encouraged in your walk because he'll reveal himself. But he's chosen to do that through the Holy Spirit. So if you don't acknowledge him, you don't receive it, then you're, you're, going, you're, you're, you're running on empty. That's the reason that Joel said it's worth doing an audible and giving the opportunity to accept the Holy Spirit right now. Now, I'm telling you what holds most people back is they're, oh boy, speaking in tongues. It's not one of them churches, is it? No, we believe what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. We believe that when it says that's your private prayer language, go into your private little place and do your speaking in tongues. Don't be showing off. What's that? Now, prophecy, that's a different thing. Bible actually says there's a benefit of prophecy, especially for visitors, because they become convicted. Wow. So what does that mean? Hey, if somebody gets a tongue in this place and they, they yell it out and it's, we don't understand it, it's not in our native language, then the Bible says that it requires an interpretation. Somebody's given it in English now so that if it's for the whole body, we can all understand it. Now, that happens rarely, but the truth is it can happen. Why? Because God reserves the right to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whoever he wants. That means somebody who doesn't speak in tongues all of a sudden, I don't know, I just felt like this gush, and that's what it was. It was, thank God it was this end. Come on, lighten up. That's what I felt, and the impulse was there. And, and I spoke, and I've never done that before. But I felt like it was, I felt this surge of power. I felt, the, I felt this presence of God in that. Now, I can't even tell you what I said. No, but the preacher made way for somebody else who had the interpretation, and they spoke. How do we know? We just know that's the way it went down. And the preacher wouldn't move on until we had that interpretation. And somebody had that gush and it was like, God, I, I got to say this. Yes, I will, God. Would you just bow your head and think upon the things that the preacher saying this morning? Let me tell you, the enemy doesn't want you to know about a freedom that you have in Christ. The enemy doesn't want to let you know about the freedom that you can have in the Holy Spirit. The enemy doesn't want you to have a purpose and a plan for your life. He wants you to stay veiled and vague. He wants you to stay, stay in a haze and in a fog. He wants you to be so self-consumed that you don't have eyes to look out beyond yourself. That redemption is literally that you're healed when you begin to reach out to become a healing source for somebody else. Because when you lay your life down, there's no greater love. So could you just say that? God, how are you and me? How, how, how am I in the Holy Spirit? God, would you declare... I've got the Jesus salvation part, but I'm not sure about this Holy Spirit part. So, God, would you say something to me about the Holy Spirit? I'm going to call the worship team. Come on up. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to belabor the point this morning. You need the Holy Spirit, and you know that. 
doesn't matter how the preacher delivered it. It's a matter of a conviction in your heart. When you said, search me, O God, know me, how am I with your Holy Spirit? And if he says, you need me, you need my Holy Spirit, then I'm going to invite the the prayer team back up here. We're going to take that time to be able to do that with you. And then we're going to release you. Remember my first sales call. It's called a cold call. It means you don't know them. You just saw the business. You know that you 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 stock what they 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 need, and I need money, and I get money when I sell people stuff that they should get from my company. So it's called a cold call. I didn't know them. I just walked in, and I had to ask. I had a little dialogue. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. It might be a cold call for some of you. Just say, I've never talked to the Holy Spirit. I didn't know I could. That's what the people there in the book of Acts, they'd heard about John, the baptism of repentance, but they'd never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you he's bigger and greater than what we've given him credit or allowed him to be. Diane, would you share that story real quick for me? I just felt we want to take that minute because Diane came up and shared about her personal experience with it, and I think somebody in the room can relate to it. So can we bring this up? If not, then you can use it. Okay. We'll just have to use this one. There you go. Use your teacher voice. But I'll, I'll be near you so we can pick you up a little. Um, I've got a question I just want to share. Uh, it, each morning, uh, whenever I started to pray, I would start my day. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I began to, to say, I began to say to the Lord, um, I don't want to be talking to you here in my living room, sipping on my coffee, and leave you in my living room. So I started, I'd say, it was almost like a, such a yearning, it almost probably would sound like a begging to someone else. But I'd say, please, just come with me. Stay with me all day. I want to know you're with me. I teach second grade, so there are moments of a whirlwind where I'm too busy to be thinking of some scripture in my head. It's just, you know, instructing, having them all behave and whatever. And after doing this, because I would um, get up, and here's another thing, too. People get so into, like, five minutes or ten minutes or I've got to do two hours. And so I just learned that I might be 10 minutes one morning. I might have woken up at 4, so I'll have 2 hours. I might have 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I quit worrying about the time. And I would just get my coffee, and I'd run over to my place. I'm like, Lord, I need, give me my verse for today. What do I need? And then I would just, um, even before the verse, I would just start, with, like you said, about praying in the Spirit. And I just, I like the lights out or low, and I'm just pacing, trying not to trip over my dog with my coffee, and just speaking in, in the Spirit. So then that sets the tone where I have and flowing, and I had to watch it because I tell you what, one time I came out of the bathroom stall <laughs> speaking out loud I'm like, Whoop! at school, you know, so public school. So you have to watch it because he just started, he, the Holy Spirit, he started just being, 
being there all day. And, and I remember one time I was in the middle of teaching. There's absolutely no way. And it was just like, oh, I love you. I just, and just, it was almost like I just wanted to wink. And I kept teaching because it, it was proving to me that he was doing what I asked. And there was another time we were switching from desks to go sit on the carpet. And the little boy was be bopping by. And every time they get to those little shaved heads, I always have to touch the little velvet, you know. And as he went by, I reached my hand, and there was like a zap, like presence of God. I happen to know his family is a Christian family, but there was some kind of a connect there. And I just, oh, my, you know. So that's that's been my life this year where I just keep saying. But it started by me saying, Lord, I don't want to live my whole life and die not doing what you want me to do. So I started just yearning for um the giftings that he has because every one of us is needed and every one of us have what special giftings he has for us. So I just wanted to encourage you that um, he's surprising me and I'm just being available. And to up it, I also have, because I'm such an auditory person, I will listen. If I listen to the Bible, I remember it better than trying to read it. So I also have audio like on my iPod where when I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm listening to the scripture I have special scriptures to listen on my way to school. It might be about healing. Or it might be prosperity. I'm listening to scriptures again. Sometimes I'll have praise. But from the moment I get up, um, just started really just asking the Holy Spirit to fill me, but not just for the moment, to come with me the whole day. And it's made a huge difference. I know someone else that's doing this too. They even had trouble on the job where a person was crybabying because they had favor. They kept getting a day shift. Well, why isn't this person working night two? And and um, so what he did was instead of looking at the conflict, he kept praising and he said, you know what? I'm going to show up at work. I'm going to do my job in front of me. And within a week, that person started coming around, acting like friends. All of it went away. So it's just like you said about the people in our lives. So I just want to encourage you to um, he'll surprise you. He'll answer what you're asking just to ask him. And give that time, um, you know, to have him flow through you. So I wanted to encourage you. So what she was talking about is a level of intimacy, and that intimacy brings us back to the to the marriage relationship. Really, it brings us back to there's an Old Testament word called yada, and yada is the consummation of a marriage. It's the most intimate. It's when we're naked and unashamed. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is the Holy Spirit, He'll come in, especially at the invitation, because He doesn't abuse you. He doesn't violate you. Very gentle. I've been around places where they're not gentle about the Holy Spirit. If I want to lay hands on anybody, it's usually them. The issue is, is that He's a gentleman, and he will not violate you, but he's like a bottle of champagne with a cork on. You shake it. It's, he's wanting to effervesce. He wants to boil over in your lives. He wants it to be that there's a flood, and what she was describing is the overflow of the Holy Spirit. Folks, some people don't live their lives with enough Holy Spirit to, to get up the hill. And that's when you ought to know is that I'm so tired of this. I need that. And the preacher's just trying to tap into hunger that you should have for the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of what you don't know. That's not God. That's the enemy. He wants to keep, keep you from it because he knows 
you'll be a wild thing for Jesus once you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what you need. Amen? Hallelujah. Here's another audible. Today is the day when, as a nonprofit, we're supposed to have a, uh, an annual meeting. And in that annual meeting, I go through the details about last year, and I talk about mission and vision and all those kinds of things. And uh, how many of you came here today because you knew that you wanted to hear about the mission and vision and annual meeting? Anybody in the room? That's the reason you're here? <laughs> There's people saying, don't even, don't even raise your hand. Um, we were going to dismiss because the details we go into, some of you, especially guests, wouldn't necessarily care about those things. If you want to know about this church, it'd be a great meeting because I don't just talk numbers. We talk about mission and vision. And our goal is to see the kingdom come in our life and the reality of salvation come to people and people to be healed and saved and delivered. We want to see families built up and established. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah, come forward if you want. Here's what we're not going to do is I'm not going to do the annual meeting today. I don't think anybody will be bothered by that. I'm going to do it, but we're going to do it after service um, probably next week. And I have to do it. It's a legal requirement by the bad IRS, okay? And that is is that I have to have disclosure. One of the things that you should like about it is it is called accountability, okay? Accountability, because I'm standing before you, and I'm going to show you what we spend our money on, what our vision is, and you have the opportunity to ask questions. And so if you think that you don't have that, you will have, but it's going to be at the end of service next week. We'll try to, uh, we'll, we'll be on time to what the best we can do, and then we'll have a short dismissal, and we'll come back and have uh, probably 30 minutes on my side um, then based on questions from there. I'm going to ask you to consider participating because it's good stuff, Okay. It's sharing about mission and vision and some things we're going to be doing for new service, uh, new outreach and some things like that. But it's also about bolstering what we've got to do to shore up some areas of need in our church and some things that we're not doing so good. So that's part of life too, isn't it? Go ahead. Do we have a mic? We don't have. Well, I just wanted to give a testimony today because the Lord has really lifted me up through this last major surgery. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty major. But anyway, through it all, through it all, the Lord has really undergirded me, strengthened me, and I want to thank everybody for all the prayers and everything that they have done. Because the Lord does use us as a fellowship to undergird and strengthen each other. Because it says in the Bible, do not forsake the fellowship each other. And that's the main reason we do have fellowship. It's more to edify and strengthen and undergird. Well, anyway, through this process of this surgery, um, I really felt like I was lifted up almost like a lead in a blanket type thing. You know, for like weeks, I felt like, how could that? I don't even feel like I had surgery. I mean, it was just so amazing to me this time how the Lord can really undergird you, strengthen you, help you with your mind. And if you do put the mind of Christ on and say, uh, I have the mind of Christ. You speak out all the scriptures on healing, on everything, any edification. 
of yourself and everyone else, and of course pray for other people, and also say, you know, uh, Lord, I have a secret path to understand, as your word says it. I'm not going to ignore it. But the Holy Spirit is what we've been talking about today, so that's why I want to give my testimony today. The Holy Spirit is really what gives you your strength, your power, your ability to cope, your ability to have hope, everything you need in your Christian walk to be effective. You need the Holy Spirit to be effective in your Christian walk because you can be a Christian and you can still be carnal or you can still maybe grow a little bit at a time, but in order to be used by the Lord, the Holy Spirit is the person you need because the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit and all we have to do is receive it. All you have to say, Lord, I want everything you have for me. Everything. Because it says in the Word, we do not receive because we do not ask. We have to ask. We can't just say, I'll go to church and I'm a little goody two-shoes and I do this. No, we have to ask. We have to always set everything down before the cross and say, hey, Lord, this is too big for me, but it's not for you. I'm going to shove it there under your little tree and there it is for you. And I'm going to just say, thank you, Lord, for carrying me. And thank you, Lord, for getting me through. Thank you, Lord, that you're my high tower. Thank you, Lord, that you're my strength. Thank you, Lord, that you're my very, very breath. And that's what the Lord wants for us, to have the breath of Christ as our breath. And we believe that we are not living. We're only living by the grace of God, by his mercy. So we our breath that we breathe needs to be breathed in the Holy Spirit. And, you, and by doing that, you need to maybe eliminate a few things in your life that is keeping the Holy Spirit out, like music that is not of God, TV that's not of God, books that are not of God, anything that's not of God. That's how the Lord can uh, use you mightily, like he did Smith Wellsworth, if we give what we do to the Lord. We have to give time. We have to give our thought patterns. We have to curse anything in our mind that is not the mind of Christ. And we have to put on the mind of Christ. You curse it out, get it out of your mind, your body, send it to the desert places by the power of Jesus Christ. And then you say, Lord, I want your mind. Because we all have thoughts. We all have thoughts. Oh, I can't take another thing. Oh, I don't like that person. Oh, this is ridiculous. Whatever. But whenever we say that, we've got to curse that thought to the desert places so it does not have power to destroy our life. Because our words our life and death to our bodies, to our minds, to our emotions, to our families, to anybody around. We have to speak life, 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 and life. And no negative. You speak negative, then you're going to get negative. I've known people that all they did was speak negative, negative, negative. Their life was a pile of poo. Because they brought it into their life. They brought it. They accepted it. They embraced it. We have to speak life. Because the Lord can do anything he wants in our life if we allow him. But by us speaking death all the time, we don't want him to do a thing. We tie his hands. But anyway, through this process, you know, of, of going through this, I feel the Lord could take me anywhere. After this, uh, and I, I'm not, this is not any pride in any way. I just know the Lord is more than able, more than able, more than able. Because I always thought I was a wimp. But he's more than able. Just remember, he's more than able to do anything and above, do everything you can imagine, much more than you could ever, ever imagine. But the Holy Spirit is so important in your life. I can't explain how important. It's beyond important. If you have the Holy Spirit, you'll have a life that's filled full of the 
grace of God. If you have the Holy Spirit, He will be able to give it to you in abundant love. If you ask, and I'm, I'm not even talking about prayer, prayer language. I pray, I have a prayer language all the time. I've done that just recently. I'll come out of the bathroom out, uh, after doing my exercises out the mall, I'll start going praying in my prayer language. Say, praise you, Jesus. Then I'll start floating it all out. And then people look at you. So I try very hard to be very careful. But the prayer language will edify, strengthen, help you get through the daily problems. And believe me, you will not regret a second of it. You will know that the living God has touched your life. Amen.